do you have that one piece of clothing you keep going back to no matter how full your closet is? Having a versatile, high-quality favorite feels great, but having a whole closet full of them feels even better. American Giant puts the quality, durability, and comfort they're famous for into everything you need for your spring days. From premium t-shirts and jeans to lightweight French terry joggers and their legendary best hoodie ever. Whether you're dressing for work, the gym, or happy hour, you're sure to find your next closet go-to from American Giant. And it's all made in America and designed to last a lifetime. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's American-Giant.com, code S-T-A-P-L-E-2-0. The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki Season 2 is... Marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki Season 2. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. You are listening to Habs and Minded. Brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Hello and welcome to yet another episode of Absent Minded. We are fortunate enough to have not only my favorite, but according to the comments and the feedback that I do get, your favorite on the pod again. And it's been far too long and I'm super excited and super happy to introduce once more Jillian Kemmerer. Thank you for joining us again. Hi, Patrick. Hi, everyone. I hope they're not sick of me yet. Oh, they won't be. They will never be. Uh, you're a <laughs> you're a star on the otherwise dark night in the podcast uh, uh, sky. But well, the... I hope someone writes that on my tombstone someday. <laughs> star on the dark night of the podcast sky. That was beautiful. Yeah, well, you know, Russian. We need to. We need to. It's a romantic people. We 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 that has been there has, has experienced it, I guess. But also, uh, people really should should work on that. Uh, how do you say the the perceived expectation of what a Russian is and what what they aren't? But but really, they are a truly truly romantic people. I remember being in in Saint Petersburg and they were asking me what I was was studying to become, and I said a geologist, and they were like, "Really, that's romantic?" And I was like, "Seriously, <laughs> are, 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 there's something wrong with you?" And and then they yeah. someone told me that the geologists in Russia were their cowboys, and and yeah. It's it's romantic. They're it's, cowboys. Yeah, Your because they were explorers of the land, and no, they were sent out ahead of everyone else to realize where the prospects were and stuff like that. So it's interesting. You in that should regard. change your uh, your LinkedIn bio to be like Russian cowboy <laughs> geologist. I should I should write that on 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 my uh, on the Twitter feed. That would be interesting to see what happened, especially after I slammed <laughs> the Russian team in the relay of the. Uh, uh, this skiing uh, event the other week. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because, you know, looking for diamonds in the rough is kind of what you do in hockey too, right? Because you focus on prospects. So it's, it all fits into this beautifully constructed story that the Russians would approve. Yeah, well, and of course we have this Russian that we have been speaking about for over a year now, Jillian. Uh, are you impressed with Mr. Alexander Rom- Romanov? Oh, the jewel in the crown, so to speak, of the Tsardom of Montreal. I can't, 
I can't be more thrilled for his transition. I mean, you, I know, have been on the bandwagon from day one, and that's paid off, and you were right. I've also been in his camp for a long time, having watched him up close in Moscow and going through his Gagarin Cup season. I mean, we knew that he had the potential, but of course, potential isn't always realized. But just to see that preparation, that hard work, the family history and legacy, the education that he's had, and sort of the obsessive commitment to bettering himself that his own coaches and others have have noted publicly and realized, it's it's awesome. And I love his new Montreal haircut to go with it. I'm sure you saw that on Instagram the other day. Yeah, I'm a little bit undecided. I, I, I sort of want him to have that long hair, but but yeah, it's he's looking well, short. And <laughs> he has a beautiful uh, wife, so uh, if she pulls the string yes. up and, and says, go get a haircut, you listen. That's what you do when you're married and or, or engaged, in my case. Uh, but that's it. It's 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 it really has been a... a extremely interesting start with with Romanov and uh, you have pronounced his name right and I hope that quite a few has listened to your pronunciation because everyone is starting to correct themselves in, in Montreal and in the media um, good glad to hear it hopefully hopefully it comes I, I think it was Tim Stutzler that brought it on with the Umelets on on the U and there it's starting to have that what you would say, the discussion about how is the name pronounced and, and everything. But it is, it is really a great start. And we have another Russian in the Montreal system, uh, Alexander, and he's without an, he's with an E, and so it will be Alexander Gourdin. And I don't know if you pronounce Gourdin in French or Gourdin in, in <laughs> Russian. <laughs> Should we just use it in French from now on, since we're getting to know him in the Montreal context? I could just hear it already. Gordin. It's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Gordin. And uh, he is in the SCA system. You had an excellent article. And correct me, it, it was on Caviar Diplomat, right? Where you spoke it was, to, yes. to uh, the development coach of SCA. Yes, I have spoken with the development coach of Ska, who was recently promoted to the assistant coach of the KHL team, which if you have prospects in the Ska system, this is a wonderful thing because no one understands the youth of that team better than Daniel Bachner. Um, and he's been instrumental in setting up their pipeline, which we can talk about further. Uh, but he is a great hockey mind. He has so much respect for Russia and the Russian heritage, but also brings a lot of the developments of Canadian hockey with him across the pond. And so his promotion is a good sign for the youth of those teams because he knows what they're capable of. He knows what they can con contribute. And hopefully he can help to push the narrative further because as we've talked about many times on this podcast, youth isn't always entrusted with responsibility in Russia. Um, Ska does a, a better job of this than many other teams, but it's one of those things where it's overcoming a little bit of cultural bias, but Certainly, it's it's something that's dominant across the world, right? You want to win. So often you put that on the backs of those who are more experienced, but there's also a benefit to developing these players and letting them contribute. And I would argue, for example, that Alexander Romanov had more to give to Seyaska than he was even able to give in light of his ice time. Now, granted, his, his development was managed carefully, and he obviously did develop well. But uh, it's nice to see Bachner uh, promoted. He's a really strong talent. He's always been a wonderful person to communicate with. And, and I just couldn't be happier for his success. 
Indeed, and, and you mentioned Romanov, obviously, and we know how the discussion was, and maybe we have even been skewed a little bit when we look at uh, Russian youth development. We have Kaprizov that took a long route. We had uh, uh, Panarin that did the same thing, and even in, in the SCAR system, we see Podkolsin. Podkolsin, right? Or, or Yeah, I'm trying. Podkolsin, yeah. <laughs> You're doing well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but we see Pod Colson uh, to 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 struggle a little bit and has been moved up and down Askarov for for obvious reason because his goalies are a bit different but there he's also mo- being moved up and down the the VHL the the KHL divide and and sometimes even just in order to get a game they they get an extra uh, game in the MHL so so there is this system that is a little bit different from the rest of Europe in some ways and there is it's a little bit different in in regards to us as well but are we spoiled with the development maybe that Romanov had compared to maybe some of the others that have been highly toted prospects and and are struggling a bit even in the KHL well I think you know if you look at at the Russian system right you have the MHL which is the junior league um, ages 16 to 20. Then you have the VHL, which is Russia's AHL equivalent. And then you have the K. And the jump between any one of these leagues to the other is quite steep. And I would argue particularly from juniors to the VHL. The VHL is a competitive league with fans. It, it certainly is their AHL equivalent. And, and that's how I often think about it and explain it. Um, and as such, having experience in the VHL, which is becoming more competitive over time, and I do think that it's something that Russia should invest in and work toward because as Russian kids look at the landscape, they say to themselves, what are my opportunities for development? What does the pathway to the KHL look like? And some of them become afraid of how competitive the KHL is and whether or not they'll get a shot. And some of them are leaving for North America quite early. And and we can talk about the pros and cons of that situation. And I would argue that at a younger age, there are more cons than pros of uprooting and leaving everything you know behind and having to contend with cultural differences in addition to your hockey development. But when you look at at young players, I mean, the KHL is extremely competitive and teams like SCA have six lines of talent to draw from. So it's inevitable that players are going to come up and go down. What I think the beauty of the SCA system is, and I think you see something similar developing at Lokomotiv, for example, in Yaroslavl, where they have a wonderful development system and development coach, the pipeline is made of glass and all of the coaches across the MHL, the juniors, the VHL, and the KHL are communicating. They have a unified development camp where coaches from every team are present and helping to agenda set for the season upcoming. So everybody is on the same page with regard to someone like Podkulzin, like Askarov, and they're collaborating and discussing what does he need to work on? You know, where is he best placed? Now, of course, there's going to be some shuffle in the season, whether it's about losing talent due to illness, like the COVID situation, whether it's about injury, whether it's about a player's overall performance, the team's performance. So yes, there's going to be some shift, but at a team like Ska, it's really nice to see that there's a cross collaboration across all of the teams in their system. Not every KHL team has its own feeders. It may have um, established relationships with other teams that they can draw from, but at SCA, these are all under the umbrella. They're all at least at one time reporting to Daniel Bachner, who was the development coach, of course, now moving into that assistant coaching position. Uh, I'm not quite sure how the responsibilities will be doled out, but it's, it's really helpful because it's not just 
about having a player seamlessly monitored. It's about communicating to that player that there's a runway and that there's a plan. And if you don't articulate that runway, it's really hard for a player to understand his own path to the KHL or the NHL if that's where he's destined and where he wants to go. Um, but Scott's done a really good job of managing both the the macro and the micro, the qualitative and the quantitative. It's very much a, a holistic approach. So I think when you're looking at a player developing in that system, it's a really positive thing. So if Montreal's looking at at Alexander and saying to themselves, okay, you know, we want to see a player developing somewhere where he's comfortable, where he knows what the stakes are, there's really no better place than than ska. Indeed, and you you mentioned a couple of of, of uh, things here, and I'll probably have to go back and listen to it when we're done. But but one thing that I'm interested in is is it the same top teams in in decay that has the same setup? You mentioned Loco, you mentioned Ska, you mentioned I, I know Seska has sort of the same system as well. Uh, Salavat, which is known to have a pretty decent uh, youth development program as well, do they have the same setup, or or is it just a big standard teams well you know a lot of the best teams it's no surprise tend to have some of the best vhl and mhl teams i mean locomotive yaroslavl consistently uh wins and juniors um stalmilisi magnitogorsk is a very strong team um at least back let's say in 2009 2010 they won the junior league and then of course the khl team um, began to rack up its accolades red army has won um, or Krasnaya Armia, Moscow is a very, very good team. Um, and then Scott, of course, has a great team as well. So I think when you look at the well-moneyed, well-heeled teams, of course, they have the means to set up a system. But, you know, I was talking to Sergei Fedorov, who in recent memory was the GM of Tsa and they didn't have, let's say, a VHL team in recent memory. And then they developed one and they've had the opportunity to articulate to their players, you know, here's here's the runway. Um, and here's here's this opportunity set. And when I spoke with him, he was saying something along the lines of, you know, we're losing a portion of our best players from the hockey school. So even before MHL, uh, because they don't necessarily see where they'll fit in to a super competitive KHL squad. But once we had the VHL team in place, um, you know, we're able to say to them, you know, I can't guarantee a trajectory like Kaprizov, like Romanov, like Sorokin, but I can I can show you an opportunity set that's maybe larger uh, than what you first imagined. And and his big argument is that he wants to see players develop uh, in Russia. And of course, he has a vested interest, right? He's trying to run and develop team school, um, but it it certainly does make sense in the context of of having a player focus 100% of their attention on on development as opposed to everything else off the ice. I was just talking to Oleg Lee, who's a winger at Sibir. He played for Ska uh, for a time and he went to the USHL for one season. And he said, I couldn't, I couldn't handle it because there was no one there by my side. I was dealing with a language barrier and I was all alone and, you know, everything else became the focus and not hockey. Uh, and I think that's what a lot of these good teams in the KHL are realizing and trying to promote by creating uh, a more well-articulated pipeline. And and you mentioned, obviously, Loco, who had to sort of build up their youth system due to um, the terrible plane crash in, in August, September, early September, of 10, 10, 11 years ago now, right? And, and they built their team from scratch, uh, sacrificing a year of KHL where they sort of built up the system but you also mentioned ska that or seska that has to 
how to format a system. So, so there are different approaches, obviously, and where which, which system, is it SCA that you think is the best? I think SCA is the best articulated. Um, I think that in terms of preparing players for the NHL, um, SCA has done a really good job of ensuring a smooth transition. When we look at players like Shostyorkin, for example, that I would argue he was NHL ready from the day he landed. Now, granted, there was quite a goaltending situation playing out at the Rangers, and, and he winds up going to Hartford and dominating there and then coming in. And, and I think that that was good experience for him. Um, but Ska has a really nice way of kind of developing prospects, a more total package that feels, I, I think it's because the organization has a bit of a North American feel to it that the transition seems less daunting. And, and Red Army, to some extent, we're seeing players make the transition too. You know, Red Army was also blessed with a generation of talent that collided at the same time. I mean, to have Sorokin, Kaprizov, Romanov, Grigorenka, Nesterov, all on the same team, all doing so well, all peaking. Um, that was a really, really amazing opportunity for Nikitin to work with. But as a testament to Igor Nikitin and Seyaska, they lost all of those players and, and then some and are still uh, heavy, heavy favorites moving into the postseason. So, you know, maybe they didn't have exactly the same dominance that they had last season, but they're still at the top. Um, and that's a testament to the system, not to the, the people operating within it. Um, and I think with Sky, you see something similar. It's the pipeline and it's the structure that's been built. And then no matter who's inside of it, they're able to kind of keep transmitting results year after year. How important is it for, for a team like Ska, like Loco, like like Seska, et cetera, to win at these lower levels to create that? I mean, like in North America, it's always spoken about uh, it's the winning culture. You have to win to 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 want to win even more. Etc. Etc. And and to to know what how much it demands of you to actually succeed in winning, it's something that Seska had troubles with for a couple of years before Nikitin took over, or they put Romanov in the team, but but, <laughs> but but really winning. How much does it mean to to win the MHL or the VHL? I think that there's a very delicate line between development and winning. And now I'm speaking strictly from personal opinion. If we look at the VHL and you approximate it to the AHL, maybe it doesn't have the same you know, support and focus as, as North America's AHL does. I think that winning and, and creating and crafting a team that wins, that culture, and especially at that age, it becomes an important thing to carry with you into the KHL locker room. Um, and of course, they establish a level of professionalism from long before that in the MHL. But When you go to the younger years, and I would argue even to some extent in the MHL, which if you ever look at MHL score lines, they're quite dramatic. They're high, high, high scoring games. Um, a lot of young players have Ovechkin-like scoring records, and you just look at it and you're like, uh, okay, you know, these are these are rather inflated score lines. This emphasis on winning over development in Russia at the youth level has cost them dearly, in my opinion. And I'm speaking specifically to youth coaches who focus on results. And this is because they're being pushed to deliver results at the risk of their own jobs, um, which means that if you're looking at a group of young players, who are you going to prioritize in development and ice timing? You're going to prioritize the goal scorers. But especially at younger ages, you have to look at the total player. There are going to be players that peak later. There are going to be players who are better total hockey players that are not prolific goal scorers in their early teens. Um, and if you think about the money ball approach, right, the team can't be comprised entirely of Ovechkins. 
it has to have these complete players. And I think when you look at Russia's national team performance at the World Juniors, you get a little bit of a hint of this. Now, some of these players, I think, were better than what the the results necessarily uh, demonstrated on the world stage. And, And they are quite young in the context of World Juniors. One year makes a big difference. But this emphasis on winning so young puts the priority on a certain type of player. And I would argue that it creates a one-dimensional player. Um, Whereas in North America, I think that you see a bit more of aggressiveness and grittiness and that willing to grind it out and battle and fight. Now, of course, you're fighting for a win. Winning is important and it does bolster confidence, but development should be the focus younger. Um, And at the MHL level, because, for example, I'm looking at a player like Gordon, and I think it was your article that pointed out um, uh, the the idea that he was showing some of his defensive teeth in, in recent games. Um, that's really positive to me. And I would like to see players demonstrating those aspects of their game more and more in the MHL. And I think that Russian hockey is modernizing at a pace that's unappreciated. I mean, this is a country that, you know, even within our lifetimes didn't exist in sovereign form, right? The Soviet Union fell while we were alive and they were forced to reconstruct hockey from the ground up. And in the 90s, that certainly wasn't the focus. The focus was living, was surviving. So now as we move into an era where Russia can focus on these these types of things, I think it's inevitable that there's going to be some hiccups and lags. But the fact that they have developed so quickly and that there are teams like Ska that are developing, you know, a really world-class facility and, and, and ability to develop players, it's a testament to that fortitude and that investment. Um, so I, I like to see that. I think that at the MHL level, I, for me personally, the emphasis is more on development. But at the VHL level, you can understand the shift toward trying to develop that winning culture because you are only a stone's throw away from being called up to the KHL team. You mentioned Godin, obviously, and, and he's averaging more or less a point per game in the MHL. I see, and this is my observation, I think his skating is absolutely atrocious, uh, especially for a Russian player. I, I think the segment I put up in the EPR last week was uh, he almost fell over in the acceleration phase, and, and then he stopped skating almost like he was too tired. Albeit, it was late in the third period, uh, he was up against another winger, uh, and he was in a different position because they played four forwards on on the penalty, uh, on the power play. Still, comparing him to the other winger, he looks lost a little bit. Um, but but you think that playing in the in the ska system will will help him change this perception and and work out his kinks in the armor? Well, I think that he's done very well in Russian juniors, and he played nine games up in the VHL and scored two goals in those games, and, and he actually played in the KHL as well. Um, so he's shown he's shown growth, right? And I think that when you're dominant in the MHL, it does not necessarily mean that you're going to jump up to the VHL and you're going to be the big fish. You know, it's quite quite the contrary. It's a big jump. But he has shown an ability to produce at the VHL level, and I've spoken with people inside of SKA Um, even as recently as this morning, who believe that he's on the rise and that he's going to be okay. Anything, any errors in his game, remember, Ska has a development camp right in around July where all of the coaches from all of the teams will be present and they will be discussing what these prospects need to focus on. Um, And if there are obvious issues with, with where he is right now, they're going to be discussed openly. To some extent, of course, given his age, it's going to be a self-reliance thing. It's it's time for him to step up as well, but he's going to have support. So in terms of 
of worrying about him. I'm not necessarily worried when people within the organization see him as a future VHLer. Um, and he's at an age where whether he's playing in the VHL or the KHL, it's just important that he's getting minutes. Um, and I think that after a good season in the MHL, he's certainly going to be looked at to move upward in the system. So, so this means that uh, Tarasovina is going to take care of his skating or, or is she just bound <laughs> to, to uh, Seska? Well, I'll have to ask. I mean, Tatiana, she might be the hidden force for uh, for these hockey players. I mean, given the relationship between Ska and the and Russian Hockey Federation, maybe uh, because she's she's the daughter of the father of Soviet hockey, she might be able to uh, to bridge her allegiances just briefly in service of of other Russian players. But yeah, of course, she uh, she firmly has Seska marching through her veins, given her father. But I don't know. We should give her a call. Yeah, or or there there are some amazingly talented figure skaters as well from 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 Russia. I think they. What was going to say? Do you want him to do a, a triple axel, or, or do you want him to play hockey? Because she probably could get him on like a sow cow real fast. But I don't know. But, but she actually, you know, a lot of figure skaters work with with hockey players. And Victor Kratz, who was a a champion ice dancer in Canada, is now working with Joker at Helsinki as a development coach and. There's a lot to be borrowed from the figure skating tradition. So I don't know. You yeah, heard it here first. If Tatiana winds up there, you heard it here first. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think uh, you always need to look outside the box to, to facilitate uh, that last step of your progress or 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 different than where you need to improve. And I know I mentioned it on this pod as well before, but I know Boris Becker took ballet lessons because everyone was complaining about his footwork. You're so young, so you don't even remember Boris. But but for me, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a good analogy. And and I, I know a lot of uh, people or, or sports people were saying yoga wasn't their thing. And look at everyone that is not doing yoga now. They are the ones that are falling behind at every, at every level. So, so I think... Well... <laughs> I was going to say, um, with ballet, that was a big part of the Soviet Olympic training program. I actually interviewed a Bolshoi-trained ballerina who now teaches hockey players. And ballet is extremely tough. It, it develops those small stabilizer muscles that are so important and that are often overlooked. And so there's definitely good reason to incorporate something like ballet. And I'm, I'm sure yoga has a similar effect. Personally, I'm trying to get on the Pilates lately because I've been watching a lot of Korean dramas and all of the women that star in these dramas are so beautiful and they look so young. And I was watching one recently and I was like, she must be 21. And I think she's 40. And I was like, what is this woman doing? I literally went on YouTube and I was like, what is she doing? And apparently it was all about the reformer Pilates. So it's the fountain of hockey, the fountain of youth. Indeed, indeed. Uh, we're here with Gillian Kemmerer, and I'm super happy to have you on the pod again. We've spoken about the development system, especially for SCA, but in, in Russia in general. Um, is there anything you want to you wanna add, uh, partly in, in regards to yourself? You're doing a lot more work for, for KHL now, right? I am. So I have a project that will be debuting in the next week or two, which I can't say just yet, but keep an eye out. I think it's going to be really fun. Um, and it's something new that I haven't done for them before. Otherwise, I'm still writing the face-off for the Men's League, Ice Diaries for the Russian Women's League. I have a sub-stack called the Caviar Diplomat. If you would like insights from Russian hockey and around the world delivered to your inbox, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jillian Kemmer. And, and do that. Uh, she is a great follower. She also gives you some real weird videos to watch and, you know, what you look at Netflix, <laughs> but, but deal with it. Uh, and it reminds Deal me, with it. <laughs> now it's, it's great because it broadens your horizons. And we have spoken always about 
the different arenas we want to go to and watch hockey one day. And especially now with COVID, it seems like it's never going to end. But but there is one place that we all, that you and I always speak about, and, and it's close to your heart as well. I saw it on Twitter yesterday. Um, but the Ladakh women's team and the story oh. behind it is fantastic. Uh, can, can you divulge a, l- a little bit of, of your uh, experience from there? Of course. So uh, up in the Himalayan mountains in a beautiful little town called Ladakh, there is a women's team that plays in the heights of the Himalayas on frozen rinks that they actually build themselves as part of an NGO. Um, and they they play there in just unbelievable gravity-defying altitude. And Slava Fetisov, who is hosting a number of games outdoors uh, as a uh, a testament to his work on climate change. It's called the Last Game Initiative, the idea of playing the last games in certain uh, climates where perhaps they won't be able to be played again with global warming. He went up to Ladakh and he played against that women's team. Um, And I interviewed actually the goalie, Dorje Dolma, about her experience playing with Slava Fetisov, which she said was incredible. But uh, they recently competed in the first Lieutenant Governor's Cup, um, which is put on by, uh, I believe, the Indian Ice Hockey Federation. And uh, Ladakh did very well. I believe they won. And Dorje Dolma was named the best goalie of the tournament. But really, really special women's team. And it is the top of my hockey bucket list to get up there someday and try to breathe because apparently <laughs> it's very hard and maybe get on the ice with them. They're just they're true testament that if you love hockey, you can find a way to play it anywhere. I think actually the, there, there is a movie about it as well. And I think it all came out really into the public's eye when I think it was the Canadian embassy that sent a team up there just in, in recognition that's to right. play some hockey. And and so there is a Canadian angle as well. And maybe that's where the lieutenant governor comes from as well, because uh, obviously the British heritage, uh, it's it's impressive. And, and really, it's it's a beautiful movie. If you think Alaska, uh, Mystery Alaska is a beautiful movie or, or Lake Tahoe later today is going to be beautiful you need to watch some of that uh, clips from, from Ladakh and the Himalayas at, I think it's 6,500, 6,000 meters height. It's, it's incredible to even be able to breathe there, let, it, let alone skate. Um, thank you, Jillian. I know you're a busy woman and, and uh, I wish you nothing but the best and the success for, for the meeting that you're about to go into. Uh, once more, thank you for, for joining us. Uh, We'll uh, let this Gourdain door be be slightly open so uh, you can go back whenever you want. We know everyone at Eyes on the Prize and the listeners are appreciating it. Well, thank you. It's always a pleasure to chat with you and, and you are so great at your job. You guys do such great work. So it's it's an honor to be uh, to be counted among your favorites. Well, you, you, so if you continue like this, you're going to be part of others rather than <laughs> just letting you guess. So, so there is that. To brush up on my French. <laughs>